Welcome to Eternal Leadership. I'm Steve Ryder, and I just want to give a quick shout out to Brendan at Entrepreneurs and Coffee, DJ Bart, and Brad Renart for giving us ratings on iTunes. We want to thank them and everyone that has reviewed us on iTunes, as well as everyone that has shared this show on social media, with your friends via email, at the water cooler, however you've been telling people. Thank you, because it's listeners like you that have been helping this show's reach these first two months exceed both John's and my expectations. So if you haven't given us a rating on iTunes, please consider doing so. And if you like what you hear, please share this with people that you think would like it too. All along during that journey, I had this strange sensation that I could I could best describe as smoldering discontent. Mm. We were living here in Colorado, which was a dream of ours. We we had uh, horses that we could ride from the house. We had a house up in Breckenridge. Had all this stuff, but there was a smoldering discontent that I just could not seem to place my finger on. And so I I basically was at the end of my rope to be honest with you. I tried changing firms. I had tried um, you know, bought all sorts of stuff, did all sorts of vacations, and it just dawned on me that, you know what, it's, it's, this is probably a spiritual issue. Smoldering discontent. I'm wondering how many of you out there feel that way. You're in a position where, according to the world's measures of success, you've arrived, whether it's a prominent position as a business owner or as a leader within your company, or you've got the nice house or the toys or whatever but there's something inside you and you feel like you're missing the mark. And, and the way Jeff Spadafora from Halftime Institute just described it, it resonates with your, with your spirit. And John Ramstead is my co-host on Eternal Leadership. And John, we recently featured Jeff Spadafora on an episode of Coach's Corner where you and he answered a couple questions we've gotten from the listeners. But we wanted to give the listeners a chance to hear Jeff's halftime story. John, what is halftime? And talk a little bit about the book. Well, well, Steve. First of all, I'm just excited to announce that we have formally partnered with Halftime. Now, here's why. I I read this book, Halftime. The subtitle is Success to Significance. One of the things I have always personally struggled with is you know, what is my calling? What is my purpose? How do I live a life that truly has meaning? insignificance. And if you are out there and you have those same questions, what I know is that if you read this book and take the time right now, we have a special offer for you. Switch over to your text messaging app. I'm going to give you a, a code that you can text in. We want to get a copy of this book in your hands because I know it's just going to be incredibly valuable to you. Imagine if you could go through a process where you understood your gifts your strengths, your purpose, what you were meant to do in this life, the life of joy that you were meant to experience. That is what the Halftime Experience, the Halftime Institute can do for you. That's what it did for me, and I hope that this book does for you and is as valuable to you as it has been in my life. So please text the word HALFTIME to 38470. So that's Halftime, just text it to 38470. We're going to send you a link. The link, well, you just fill out your address and we're going to send a copy of the book to you. We want to get that in your hands. And John, not just the book, but also with that comes a free hour of halftime coaching to anyone that has any questions about the book. Yeah, there are so many questions in the book. There's a great resource guide in the back of the book. 
But when you go through this, I know that you're going to have questions that are going to come up, things that are hard to answer. So take this as an opportunity to sit down with a with a trained and certified halftime coach. It's not a sales call. There's no strings attached. This is to purely to do one thing, add value to you in your life, get these questions answered so you can move forward in a meaningful way. And with that, John, here's how you got that conversation with Jeff Spatafora from Halftime Institute started. Today, I'm here with Jeff Spatafora, and we were talking about a big idea that had a huge impact in my life, and that is how I take a life of success and I go to a life of significance. As many of you know, I, I had an accident three years ago, and I've been on a, a very deep and personal journey to find that in my life. But I think back to a time, you know, I was trying to accomplish a dream early in my life, and that was to become a Navy fighter pilot. And my dad gave me some incredible advice as I went down to Pensacola to start my training. He said, you know what, there's going to be a student down there that is the ace of the base. He's figured this out. He knows what to do. He's uh, ahead of you in the process, so you're not competing with him. Go find out who that person is and, and, and learn everything that they're doing. And you know what, I did that. And through that and getting that mentorship in my life, I was able to accomplish every goal I had in the Navy as a pilot. And so when I started going through this journey on my own, I sought out who would be like that in this realm of not just spiritual development, but having a life of meaning, of significance that is integrated in my business life, my personal life, my marriage, my role as a husband uh, and a father. And that search led me to somebody who's become just a great friend, Jeff Spatafora, who I'm here with now. So, Jeff, you've been very involved in halftime. I would love for you to share how that came about and a little bit about your journey that got you to that point to, to seek this and become an expert. Yeah, that sounds great, John. Thanks for having me here. You know, I think a little backstory is important to put some context around uh, how I got to halftime. Um, I grew up in uh, rural western Massachusetts, so kind of a New England kid, and uh, went to prep school out there and went to college out there. And I just I just kind of got um, brainwashed into thinking that the, the, the key to happiness is make as much money as you can as fast as you can. And so good, bad, or indifferent, that was kind of the, uh, the playbook, the, the American dream playbook that I was going to start working from. And, um, and so I, I sort of uh, went after it and jumped into the marketplace and went after that. And um, parallel to all of that, just to understand my, my spiritual story, you know, grew up Roman Catholic, never missed a Sunday of church until I was about 15 years old, um, and then went off to, to prep school. But then I, I didn't set foot in a church from age 15 to age 35, you know, with the exception of, you know, a funeral here or there or going back home for Christmas. So I was just kind of on this path of this is what life is about. And I didn't really have a, a, any different uh, paradigm or frame of reference. And so I started out in the management consulting business, um, specifically around executive and leadership development. And it was interesting, but never deeply fulfilling. And really, I did that for 20 years. And, and all along during that journey, I had this strange sensation that I could, I could best describe as smoldering discontent. Mm. It's like, why is 
this not feeling as good as I thought it would feel. We were, we were living here in Colorado, which was a dream of ours. We have uh, horses that we could ride from the house. We had a house up in Breckenridge, had all this stuff, but there was a smoldering discontent that I just could not seem to place my finger on. And, and uh, one thing that struck me is I remember um, a 10th grade English teacher that I had who said that, um, he was a big fan of Henry David Thoreau, and he used to talk about the mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation. And I didn't have a clue what he meant at age 15, but at age 40, I knew all too well what he was talking about. I had just somehow gotten off purpose of what I was really called to do. And it dawned on me um, at about age 35 that my issue was spiritual. It was not circumstantial. It was not financial. It was not vocational. And so it was at age 35 that, that I um, started to explore actually all the faiths of the world. I kind of did a deep dive of all the major faiths, almost like an undergraduate study level of self-study. Hey, Jeff, what, what created that awareness for you at that point that this wasn't about material things or income or business success. This was something a little deeper. Well, because I had that stuff and I, and it, my heart was still joyless. Mm. Now, if somebody at, at age 20 told me, Hey, material things are going to be empty. I wouldn't believe it. But, but about mid thirties, I was experiencing it. So um, it wasn't like I was wise enough to take the counsel of somebody older than me. I was feeling the pain of it. And so, you know, for me, it was just an existential thing. It mm-hmm. really was. I know that's kind of a, you know, cliche term, but it really was. It's like, why am I not happy? And so I, I basically was at the end of my rope, to be honest with you. I tried changing firms. I had tried, um, you know, bought all sorts of stuff, did all sorts of vacations and it just dawned on me that, you know what, it's, it's, this is probably a spiritual issue. And um, literally at the very same time that that was an inkling in my mind, uh, we got a flyer in the mailbox that had talked about a sermon series, which first of all, as a Catholic kid, I didn't have a clue what a sermon series was, mm-hmm. um, but it was a sermon series on something called Family Matters. And we had three little kids under age four, And my wife and I, Michelle was not a believer at the time. She and I both thought, you know, maybe we should think about getting our kids into church, not really for the spiritual or the eternal reasons, but just sort of for the moral reasons. Mm -hmm. And so at the time that I was just really struggling here um, and and starting to dawn on me, I had a spiritual issue. um, That that little flyer came through. And I just remember going to this little Baptist church and for the first time hearing the gospel, and I was just like, just shocked, just shocked that that's who Jesus really was and, and how God had orchestrated um, Jesus as a bridge back to him. And, and it was just really refreshing. And, you know, at that point in time, I accepted Jesus not as my Lord, but as my savior, I was willing to take the free gift of, of eternity, but I wasn't really ready for him to be my Lord. And so I went about five years um, from age 35 to age 40 on this really steep spiritual growth curve. And what was interesting is some of that smoldering discontent actually burst into flames. It was getting worse 
because what was happening is I started to see that the pathway to joy that was being revealed to me in scripture was a radically different pathway that my life was on. And yet the horse had left the barn. I had a high monthly uh, debt to service. Um, I had all my identity wrapped up in that. And there was just this giant dissonance between the life I was living, which was joyless, in this pathway of joy that's so clearly outlined in in the Bible. And I just said, how am I going to bridge this gap? How am I going to reconcile this? And Could, did, at that time, did you understand what that gap was? I, I knew that I didn't know how it played out in a practical level, mm-hmm. but I knew something had to change. And so I was fly fishing with a buddy of mine up in the mountains here in Colorado, and I was telling him about how I was feeling. And he said, dude, you're in halftime. And I said, well, what are you talking about? She said, you're in halftime. You haven't read this book? And I'm like, no. And so he, he gave me that book. And it was actually, we went up to our men's retreat that weekend. And I missed the whole first day of the men's retreat. I didn't leave my room. I just read the book cover to cover. And I said, this is it. This is, this is bridging. This is, I think this can help me bridge the gap from where I am at my heart level to where I want to be at the heart level but also from where I am at a practical level to what are some of the practical changes that need to take place. And I was initially fearful that it meant, you know, becoming Mother Teresa or, you know, I had to quit, you know, my consulting gig and and move to Africa. I was just kind of stuck in a binary vision of it's either got to be marketplace or this really all out ministry type of transition. So that was your mindset initially that to serve God meant being in the church or yeah. going to Africa. There was there was there was one or the other. Yeah. There wasn't an integration. There wasn't a way to do them together. That, that's not how you've been raised or taught or that's how you didn't Well the the book helped me start to dispel that binary thinking. Mm-hmm. I started to see that there were actually multiple ways to be fully obedient um, in my current platform and current context, uh, to what God was saying and, and to, to make that transition. Now, as you know, how it played out over time, I ended up uh, leaving my consulting world and moved into being the head of the coaching services for halftime. Um, but you know, I grew into that and, and I'm just an example of one guy who's gone from marketplace to ministry to rediscover their heart and make a difference in the world. But I've coached plenty of people who are still working in the marketplace, have no intention of leaving, and they've just seen their their work as ministry. So it's not been a change in an environment. It's been a change in paradigm for them. So you never know where God's going to leave you. He may take you away from where you are, or he may just help you bloom where you're already planted. So when you read that book, you skipped the retreat. This is soaking into you. What's the first step that you took after you had this new knowledge to move toward this future that you finally realized that I could get there? Yeah. Well, the, the first step is to really understand who is God mm. and really, really kind of, you know, wrestle out your own theology. Let me ask you a question. Going into that weekend before you read the book, what was your understanding of God? 
Well, that's the thing is that I had a pretty good base of it. I did have a, um, a great Bible study that I was in and it happened that our senior pastor uh, led that Bible study. So my knowledge of God had skyrocketed over the course of the five years up until this point that I reached age 40 and came to this crisis point. And without that knowledge, um, I would not have seen my current life as, as dreadful <laughs> as it was. And so the, the, the first step really is understanding who is God and believing it. You know, I, I've got one client who talks about the 18 inches, mm-hmm. uh, the 18 inches from here's what I know down to, from my head down to my heart and to create that bridge. And so, um, you know, A.W. Tozer, one of my favorite authors who wrote The Pursuit of God, he said the most important thing about a man is what comes to mind when they think about God. And so I, I had gotten so clear on that that that's when I realized that my lifestyle was never going to get me to where I knew God could, could bring me the greatest joy and the greatest impact. Um, so I knew something had to change. So the next step to answer your question, the next step is really self-awareness. You know, it's like, who am I? Who, who am I? Who am I wired to be? What are my skills? What are the things that I'm good at naturally that I've been good at since I was a little kid? What are the things that I've learned through all these years of being a management consultant? What are some of the things I've learned uh, through experience of life? Um, also, just what are my passions? Like, what's, what are you fired up about? I, I remember reading a, a quote, and it was actually by Soren Kierkegaard. Mm. And what Soren Kierkegaard said is the key to life is to figure out the cause you'd be willing to live or die for. That's deep. And I was like, I mean, I loved Michelle and I loved my kids and I enjoyed skiing and fishing and hunting and fly fishing, but I really didn't have a cause larger than life that I'd be willing to live or die for. And so I was kind of stumped on that. And it was interesting because simultaneously or about that, um, so I really hit halftime in 2005, and I think it was, it might have been middle of the summer, early summer 2004, we went down to Disney World, and I brought Michelle and the kids down there, my mom and dad came, and uh, so we're walking through Disney World in Orlando, and we bumped into this other family, um, and it was uh, another family from our little town in, in Western Mass. Oh, you knew them? Yeah, we knew them. Mm-hmm. And uh, in fact, the, 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 the guy that, um, that we knew had played football for my dad. My dad was a high school football coach for 30-something years in Massachusetts, and this guy was maybe seven or eight years older than me. And he was there with his extended family, and I remember him. He was this giant guy. He was an awesome defensive end. And, um, and so we're all, you know, these little New England families talking and, and somehow in this whole sort of, uh, little impromptu reunion, I was standing next to this guy and he said, you know, Jeff, there's, there's hardly a day that goes by where I don't call on some important lesson that I learned from your dad, either on the football field or in the classroom. And he said, it's really made a difference in how I live my life and, and what I do with my business. And I just, I had immediately added these two emotions that just surged up in me. One was how proud I was of my dad. Just, just consistent, 
investing in kids' lives and using using uh, football and teaching as the vehicle for that. The other emotion was just like a dagger to my heart. It was just like, I'm going to be a rich guy. You looked in the mirror. Yeah. I'm going to be, uh, if I keep going on this pace, I'm going to, Michelle's going to love me. I'm going to be a good dad. But beyond that, I don't know if anybody's ever going to say what that guy just said about my dad, about me. And so I just, I knew that there was, I just needed something larger than myself. And that was something that I continue to see in scripture is, is joy is actually um, not something you get. It starts off by something you give. And then joy is sort of a byproduct, sort of an added blessing that comes from it. And I just knew that I needed to move from this more selfish approach to more of a giving approach, but I was still stuck in this. Okay. Does that mean I work at a soup kitchen or go to Africa? So, right. right. So figuring out what my passions were, what my skills were, what do I really value? Um, what do I want to be remembered for? Um, when I'm, when I'm 80 years old and sitting out on the porch, looking on the horizon, what do I want to say that I've accomplished in my life? And, and I just never really slowed down enough to stare those questions in the eye and, and just be honest with myself. And, uh, and so that's the first step for a person is understand who is God, get your theology rock solid. Uh, in parallel to that, start to build your own self-awareness of who you are and what you care about. When you and I were working together, uh, we started in this process and I remember making a comment, like I need to figure out how I'm wired. Yeah. And what you followed up with, Jeff, which for me sounds like a subtle shift, but uh, completely opened the gates for me was, no, John, you need, how did, you need to figure out how God wired you. Yeah. And for me, that started uh, a complete mindset change from looking at myself through my own eyes and the eyes of my world and my relationships to how does God view me? What, how am I seen from God's perspective and through God's eyes and what he is doing for me? Yeah. Right. So I'd love for you to talk a little bit about how you created that awareness for yourself and how you do that when you're working with somebody. Yeah. Because for me, that was an incredibly powerful period of my life working with you through that. Yeah. Well, it's a it's a great point because a lot of what happens to men, particularly at midlife, is that they have slowly over time morphed into somebody else that they originally didn't start out to be. It's um, like the person they think they should be. Yeah, exactly. Instead of the person they are. Exactly. So friends, family, the messages from Wall Street, from Madison Avenue, from Hollywood, all of this stuff starts to cloud who you think you should be. And so really understanding how God's wired you is actually a process of unlearning of, of tearing off the layers of, of sort of the false self. Mm, and I agree. the thing about it is it's hard when you tear off a layer of just about anything, it's painful. Um, and so, because all this has become part of us. Well, it's your identity. It's our identity. It's how we think it's how we interact with people. And we've been doing it for 30, 40, 50 years. Yeah. And so when somebody, when somebody says you have this false identity, you don't believe it's false because it has become your identity. And so it's really a process of getting back to, to understanding a couple of things. Number one is, what are the agendas that have got me off track? 
And what, do you, what do you mean by that? Well, like for instance, there's a there's a woman by the name of um, of Bronnie Ware, and she's uh, an Australian, and she spent 20 plus years working in hospice, and she wrote a book called The Five Regrets of the Dying. Hmm. The number one regret of all these people that she had the opportunity to speak with on their deathbed, the number one regret is, I wished I had lived the life I wanted to live as opposed to the life that other people had had imposed upon me. They just didn't have the courage to be who they were. And typically that's what happens, particularly with business guys is they somehow get in their mind, well, I guess I just need to go make money, so I'm gonna go do this, and they just gradually keep selling their soul and going down this path until all of a sudden, 25 years down the road, they pop their head up from their desk and they're like, why Why do I feel lost? Why am I not fulfilled? And how did I get to this point? And it's not something that happens overnight. It's a gradual distancing. It's like if you start out at point A, and you start to walk, and you're only one degree off on the direction you want to go, well, 25 years later, you're pretty far from that original destination. And so trying to, trying to just get confident about, well, who am I really, and what do I really care about, um, is step one. The, the challenge for that, the challenge for that is not just the identity that's an issue, it's debt, Mm-hmm. That's an issue as people start to think about, well, wh- who am I really? And, the, and what should I do? The first thing that goes to their mind is, well, what does this mean financially? And, you know, I've, there's was one coach that I work with and I asked him, I said, what, what do you think is the biggest challenge for people who really want to be who they think they, they really are? And he said, oh, it's a no brainer. It's the green monster. And so, you know, I grew up in Massachusetts. I thought he was talking about left field wall of, of Fenway Park. Yeah. <laughs> and then I realized he wasn't talking about the Red Sox. He's talking about money. And so when people start to dream, they, they typically have difficulty seeing, well, where does the revenue engine fit in here? Because I've gotten kind of accustomed to this lifestyle. And so the... the well, don't you think a big part of that too is because when they start to dream, the other thing about, you know, the, what you should be, if you're yeah. being faithful, is a walk then into ministry, working in exactly. nonprofits, working in yeah. you, you know the traditional roles, and there's there's no revenue there, so yeah. people feel like they have to completely walk away from a big part of that identity to yeah. even be marginally effective. Yeah, and in what Bob Buford says, Bob who, who uh, wrote the halftime book, he said the biggest place where people get stuck is due to a, a failure of the imagination. They're stuck in this binary thing. It's either in the marketplace or suffering for Jesus. And so what, what we try to do in halftime is, is help people understand what are you good at? What do you care about? Before you sell your company, before you quit your job, find out, is there any way possible that I can start living some of this out exactly where I am? Don't do anything radical to threaten the cash flow. Don't do anything radical to... to uh, frighten your spouse. Um, don't disrupt, um, you know, too many things in your life. And instead, start out by saying, can I bloom where I'm currently planted? And start to experiment with that. If you, like me, eventually find out it just ain't going to work here, well, then you move to the next step, which is to go join some organization that's working on something you really care about 
and that you have some skills to bring to the table. And so that was my case at the, at the point that, that I started to, you know, get clear about who God was, um, who I was in Christ, what I was good at and what I cared about. I then looked at my current consulting role and I realized, okay, I'm in Colorado. I'm working with a firm headquartered in San Francisco. Most of the consultants on my team that I manage are strewn about the country and 90% of my clients are in the Midwest. Well, that is not a, um, a, a good platform for a person who it's starting to dawn on that their calling is to help people figure out their calling. Mm. I just, it was too transactional. The relationships weren't deep enough, but I had come to the conviction that, you know what? I think the reason I had felt all this smoldering discontent and was off purpose all this time is so that I would have a high degree of empathy for people who have smoldering discontent or an off purpose. And I just knew that I knew that I knew I wanted to somehow help people figure out God's plan for their next season of life. And so for me, staying didn't work. And I had to shift gears to the second option that we encourage people is to say, okay, join. Who, who has traction? Who has credibility? Who has momentum in doing the things that you want to do? And if you showed up to help them, you'd literally be an answer to prayer. And for, you wanted to become uh, like that guy you met at uh, Disney World, right? Yeah, exactly. What your dad had done in his life, that was like for you all this huge aha moment. Yeah. I want to be that person in as many lives as I can touch, as, I, as God can put me in front of and, and have it deep and meaningful. Absolutely. And I want it to be eternal. I want it to not just be making their lives you know, more comfortable here, but, but really to be eternal. And so, um, so I, just, I just said, okay, so you know, what organization out there is the 800-pound gorilla? Or as Bob Buford's mentor, Peter Drucker, would say, who is the island of health and strength around helping people figure out their, their calling and then get engaged in it in a way that brings them great joy and keeps the other parts of their life in balance. And I just kept coming back to halftime. I mean, they know how to do it. So I, you had read the book, right? If I understand it right, you reached out to Bob Buford Mm -hmm. and they had just started doing some coaching around this. if, If I understand it right. Yeah, absolutely. So, so I called Bob thinking I was just calling the author. And it turned out he, he had a whole organization that he had created to help people figure this out. And at that season of our sort of evolution as a ministry, we had just morphed from being a book to being sort of a, uh, you know, going on a speaker's tour to doing workshops. And just at that part of our evolution, um, they had started to experiment with, well, how about if we coach people? Because going to a great workshop, um, you know how that is. You have this mountaintop experience and then you walk back into reality and it's just hard to execute. Oh, two weeks later, it's all gone. It's all gone. Maybe one little teeny point sticks, but that's best case. Yeah. And, and the type of transition that we're talking about is, is a pretty significant one. It, it, it's really, it, it's looking at fully conforming to God's plan for your life, which by the way, equates to the highest pinnacle of joy you'll ever experience. But typically it's a pretty big shift from where I am now to where, where that full conformance goes to. 
And so uh, when I when I called them, they had just started with coaching and they were seeing some results in it. Well, you know, I had been in the the management consulting and executive development world, so I was familiar with coaching in the corporate environment. And so I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll work with a coach. So I had this great coach, Dave Jewett, who, who just walked me through my halftime transition. And so I got to the point where I was pretty confident that my calling is to help people figure out their calling. It wasn't going to happen in a real sort of in-depth way or in a leveraged way, staying in my consulting role. And so I circled back after a year of coaching and just said to Bob and the other guys on the team, hey, is there any way I can help you? And they said, yeah, climb aboard. And so I started volunteering for them. So I still hadn't quit my job. Mm -hmm. Um, I was testing out what we do. We call them low cost probes. I was testing out, is this really my calling or is this just some hobby that's developing? And, and so I volunteered for them. Then I made a big decision in 2006 to, to actually pose the question to my firm about going part time. And uh, much to my surprise, a conversation that I feared for a number of months went went great. They said, go for it. Now, there was a caveat. You know, part of my role was uh, it was an eat what you kill type of thing. So I would I would close the consulting gigs, but then I would also muster up all of our internal resources and manage all the consultants to deliver on it. And they said, hey, if you can if you can continue to be a rainmaker and lead the projects to client satisfaction, you know, you could work a minute a day. <laughs> you can't, we don't care what you do. Right. So, so I was able to negotiate, um, you know, this part-time thing. And then I, I uh, went on staff for two days a week with half time and it just, it just blew my mind. I mean, it was literally like having front row seats to watch how the Holy Spirit can change a person's thinking can change their marriages, can change their, their lives and can really, you know, lead them to, to great joy and great kingdom impact. And after the end of the year uh, of doing this, this, you know, half ministry, half marketplace stuff, I said, I, I don't care about the marketplace anymore. I, I want more of this. So how long, how long has it been that you've been at halftime full time? Um, so, uh, it's going to be nine years in, in a few months. So in nine years, you become head of coaching. You have what, 30, how many coaches do you have? Is it? 36. So 36 coaches. Yeah. A question I would love for you to, uh, to share is looking at people you've worked with as a halftime coach yeah. that have gone through this process and really have borne the fruit of this process. What's something that they've done or they've had in common that's allowed them to go through this and really get to that other side you talked about? Well, it's a it's a great question. the The typical halftimer is is a type A business person, man or woman. About seventy five percent men, but we do have a lot of corporate uh, women that that are part of the program. They come in thinking that their problem is a doing problem. I need to do something different with my life. And we know at halftime that it's more of a being problem. It kind of goes back to sort of a who am I in Christ issue. Right. If you go to that spiritual side too quickly with somebody that wants to put their energy into the practical side initially, you'll scare them 
or you'll just sound like it's a whole bunch of spiritual mumbo jumbo. Um, or they'll say, I can get this at church. Why do I need this from halftime? So we start out by letting them take that energy towards doing. And we really kind of almost, it might appear at the surface level that it's kind of secular. Okay, let's do some assessments. Let's understand your skills and all this kind of stuff. But what eventually happens is at some point in time, through the questions the coach asks or through the Holy Spirit, it clicks that this is a bigger spiritual issue than I thought. And well, you're describing exactly <clears throat> my experience going through that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We, you, you start out by saying, okay, I just got to fix my circumstance. And you don't realize it's got a lot to do with your head and your heart, with your, your paradigm about God and your heart. And so at yeah, that, my initial thought was I got to change my priorities. <clears throat> I got to put more time here, less time here. I got to, sh- if I just maybe shuffle things around, cause it was rooted in that person I was coming into this process. Yeah. And it's still there as you, and it's a process to separate the two. Absolutely. And so to answer your question about, so how, what's the common theme of people that have made this transition successfully? The common theme is that they have intentionally and strategically, and even down to tactically, they've turned up the volume on their connection with God. Mm. And it's really, they, they've worked with their coach to come up with specific ways to, to re-engage in the word, to, to uh, improve their prayer life, to uh, journal more effectively. And eventually what we see happen for the people that are healthiest is they end up connecting to the vine, mm-hmm. as Jesus says in John fifteen five, really well, so that the fruit will start to grow. And so that, that's the doing. So if you look at the being and the doing, um, it, it's, it's sequential. The, the being, the understanding of who I am, how God has wired me, and growing in my knowledge of him and intimacy with him, it starts to inform what you should do in the practical aspects of your life. The thing of it is that sounds passive to most aggressive business people. And they just can't imagine that slowing down and getting prayerful is actually going to figure out this problem because historically they figured out all of their other problems through hustle, creativity, get aggressive, be bold, take a risk. And so it's a counterintuitive strategy to a problem. And, and so at halftime, our coaches are just really intuitive about when do you start to shift from doing at the practical level, when do you start to shift over to the spiritual things and so that they actually have an appetite to do it. And so the people that produce the greatest fruit are the ones that have become more effectively attached to the vine. Jeff, as you've worked with hundreds of people, you've brought them successfully through this journey. What are some of the patterns that you've noticed and and how are you bringing that into what you're doing and what I understand is really this kind of this next level of your life? Yeah, that's that's good, John, because here's some of the patterns that I'm seeing. Number one is the language that most people use when they come to the Halftime Institute is that they're looking for more purpose Mm -hmm. or more meaning or more kingdom impact. 
that's typically the vocabulary we hear. And then can they define it at that point? They don't. They can't. That's why they're coming. Is Mm -hmm. I know I want this, but I don't know what it looks like at a practical level. And, And there's a lot of barriers to figuring it out. So can you help me? But if you peel back the layers of the onion, just with a couple of key questions about, well, why do you want purpose? Why do you want meaning? Why do you want kingdom impact? The real root motivation of it all is joy. People are just craving joy. I'll even use interchangeably the word peace. And so what I've learned over the years of of coaching people here at the Halftime Institute and training all of our coaches and helping them help their halftime clients, what I've learned is that there's, there, there's like a model. There's a model for growing into joy. And the, the model is, I've already alluded to, it's a, it's a balance between being and doing. And to help people get really practical about, well, how do I grow spiritually? That's the being access. Like specifically, what, what should I do with my prayer life? How do I study the Bible differently? And in a lot of people, what happens when they come in, they just think, I've got this Christian stuff. Man, I've been a Christian since I'm eight. You right. know? And what we typically find is people know about God, but they're not experiencing him. And so there some of the most literate people biblically still don't know Jesus Christ and still have never really had an encounter with the Holy Spirit. Yet they don't know that they don't know. And so the the you know one of the two dimensions that they need to pay attention to is to figure out how do I grow in the spiritual dimension? And then the other dimension is this practical dimension. How do I take what I'm learning and also who I am becoming and what sort of adjustments do I make in my marriage? What sort of new paradigm should I have about my finances? What, what about my parenting? What about my work? What about my service? And so what happens is, is that it's the old saying, essence begets action. Mm-hmm. You know, who you are just naturally manifests itself out into the world. And so I've just noticed that there's these two pathways is, is, is the, the spiritual and the practical, the being and the doing and, um, and just helping people um, make that translation from the spiritual into the practical parts of their life. So if I understand you correctly, there's spiritual growth, right? You talked about before head knowledge and heart knowledge, right? As I move that intellectual knowledge of God into a personal relationship, and and I have that in my life, and that seems to be a separate path. And then I have the works that I'm doing, whether it's either serving in the church or, you know, running a company. What you're talking about is coupling the two of those together, integrating those two things, so that I'm actually moving both of those in the direction that moves my life. And that's if I'm hearing it right, that's what moves you toward this place of just joy and peace when they're, when they're working together. Yeah. It's an integrated life Mm -hmm. where, where your, your Tuesday afternoon board meeting self is the exact same self as Sunday morning at at 10 AM when you're tearing up hearing the gospel Mm -hmm. where you can make the bridge between those two 
um, a fully integrated as opposed to bifurcated or compartmentalized life. And so the, the key to this integration that is really what people crave. I mean, the, the, the integration is going to bring them the joy that they want. The key to it is, and this is a hard thing for people to hear, it doesn't happen overnight. Most people think that this transition is some gutsy jump off the cliff decision. And really what it is, it's more like a hundred smaller, obedient, courageous steps over an extended period of time. So this isn't flipping a switch. It isn't. You know, you'd like to say you have sort of a, you know, a road to Damascus, you know, experience, some, some massive epiphany. And there are many epiphanies I've seen people have, but it's more like hearing from God and obeying, hearing from God and obeying. And over time, that turns into blessing. And it turns into joy. Like my the fa- my favorite book that I've never read is, is a book by Eugene Peterson, and it's called Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And I feel like I don't need to read the book because the title is just so perfect. I mean, long obedience in the same direction, just tiny little steps. Tiny, you know, I, I really, I, I rarely have met people who totally did a full 180 in their life upon conversion. I know for me, it's just, I would just hand over a little bit of my agenda to, to God. And then a month later, I'd hand over a tiny smidgen of, of another part of my agenda. And you just keep doing that. And you just keep trying to listen, learn, and then go obey. You do that over an extended period of time. It leads to a life of great blessing. Well, I got to tell you, because I know this is the mission of Halftime Institute. This is what you do for people. It's what you did for me. So just to share with you here publicly, you know, if I met a, a friend of mine at Disney World and let's say it was your son and I, and I was talking with him, I would share with him the impact that you've had in my life through oh, what you've thanks, sown man. into me, how you've helped me move in direction. So thanks. Um, I love what you're doing. I love for you here as we wrap up, share a little bit for people, you know, what Halftime Institute is, how do they get in touch with you? Um, you know, if they're interested in... Uh, exploring what you guys have to offer in their lives. Because what I've found is that the biggest growth I've ever had in my life has really come not through reading books or workshops. It's really come in relationship, personal relationship, somebody who really has my best interest at heart. They're working with me and we're doing this journey together. So yeah, that's great. Well, you can, you can find out about us. Just go to halftime.org and um, you'll see the, all the background on the halftime Institute um, the first thing is to just have a conversation. This is a deeply personal uh, journey with subtleties and nuances that are different for everybody. Um, but we've got a couple of people that just initially you have a conversation with to really understand your story and see if our approach is something that can help you. Um, the other thing that's important is it's 100% confidential. Um, and then, then at that point, you can make a decision um, we have two different programs, um, both a year long. One happens to be called the members program. The other is the fellows program. I won't go into the details of them, but, um, both of them have the same three components, teaching, coaching, and connecting. It's about 10% teaching, um, 80% coaching. So we'll match you up with a coach who's got the same sort of background experience as you do, um, and then connecting. 
Um, if in connecting is really helpful, if you feel like you're being called out of the marketplace, because you typically may not know many people in that world, but the number of people that we've served who have just wholeheartedly realized I'm supposed to be in the marketplace, the number of people that we serve that, that we could connect you with to learn from them and to understand how they're making a difference in the kingdom and how they're balancing their, their marriages and their faith and their family. Um, it, it's a it's a large number. And so teaching, coaching, and connecting you to, to gradually over time build a life that's defined by greater joy, greater impact, and, and greater balance in your life. Well, that's fantastic. Also, I want to let everybody know that uh, Jeff and the Halftime Institute have offered a free copy of the book to anybody who's listening. I had two people give me a copy of that book in my lifetime. They were both sitting on my shelf. And I came to that point kind of where you were, that I was just this aware, this deep longing for something else. And a friend of ours, Brian, said, John, you just sit down, <laughs> read the book. Mm-hmm. And if it makes an impact, let me introduce you to Jeff. Uh, when I started reading the book like you, I literally could not put it down. I was underlining as taking notes. So even if you never engage in the coaching or go through the program, which is open to anybody listening, uh, take advantage of this. Go to eternalleadership.com forward slash halftime and uh, we'll, we'll get a copy of the book out to you i'd love to put it in your hands as a resource so thank you again jeff thank so you. much for your time this has been fantastic thank you great thanks john like john and i mentioned at the top eternal leadership is partnering with halftime institute and one of the ways we're doing so is to offer the book halftime and a free hour of halftime coaching to you at no cost just go to eternalleadership.com slash halftime that's eternalleadership.com slash halftime or as john mentioned at the top of the broadcast just text halftime to the number 38470 that's halftime to the number 38470 next time on eternal leadership john takes executive coach michael fow into the coach's corner As a team member, we can, in a non-threatening way, ask questions that are curious questions and truly um, be not tied necessarily to having to have the outcome go the way we want, but have people actually explore what could be possible if we did something in a different way. John and Michael answer two questions that you in our audience wanted answered. For John Ramstead, I'm Steve Ryder, and thank you for listening to Eternal Leadership.